Chapter 27 of Sam in the Suburbs by P.G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27. Spirited Behavior of Mr. Braddock. When Willoughby Braddock, some ten minutes earlier, had parted from Kay and come out onto the gravel walk in front of San Rafael, he was in a condition of mind which it is seldom given to man to achieve until well through the second quart of champagne. So stirred was his soul, so churned up by a whirlwind of powerful emotions, that he could have stepped straight into any hospital as a fever patient and no questions asked. For the world had become of a sudden amazingly vivid to Willoughby. After a quarter of a century in which absolutely nothing had occurred to ruffle the placid surface of his somewhat stagnant existence, strange and exhilarating things had begun to happen to him with a startling abruptness. When he reflected that he had actually stood chatting face to face with a member of the criminal classes, interrupting him in the very act of burgling a house, and on top of that had found Lord Tilbury, a man who was on the committee of his club, violently transformed into a sans culotte, it seemed to him that life in the true meaning of the word had at last begun. But it was something that Kay had said that had set the seal on the thrills of this great day. Quite casually, she had mentioned that Mrs. Lippett proposed, as soon as her daughter Claire was married to Hash Todhunter, to go and live with the young couple. It was as if somebody, strolling with stout Balboa, had jerked his thumb at a sheet of water shining through the trees and observed nonchalantly, By the way, there's the Pacific. It was this, even more than the other events of the afternoon, that had induced in Mr. Braddock the strange, yeasty feeling of unreality which was causing him now to stand gulping on the gravel. For years he had felt that only a miracle could rid him of Mrs. Lippett's limpet-like devotion, and now that miracle had happened. He removed his hat, and allowed the cool night air to soothe his flaming forehead. He regretted that he had pledged himself to dinner that night at the house of his Aunt Julia. Aunt Julia was no bad sort, as aunts go, but dinner at her house was scarcely likely to provide him with melodrama, and it was melodrama that Mr. Braddock's drugged soul now craved, and nothing but melodrama. It irked him to be compelled to leave this suburban maelstrom of swift events, and return to a London which could not but seem mild and tame by comparison. However, he had so pledged himself, and the word of Braddock was his bond. Moreover, if he were late, Aunt Julia would be shirty to a degree. Reluctantly, he started to move toward the two-seater, and had nearly reached it when he congealed again into a motionless statue. For, even as he prepared to open the gate of San Rafael, he beheld slinking in at the gate of Monrepos a furtive figure. In his present uplifted frame of mind, a figure required to possess only the minimum of furtiveness to excite Willoughby Braddock's suspicions, and this one was well up in what might be called the Class A of furtiveness. It wavered, and it crept. It hesitated, and it slunk. And as the rays from the street lamp shone momentarily upon its face, Mr. Braddock perceived that it was a drawn and anxious face, the face of one who nerves himself to desperate deeds. And indeed the other was feeling nervous. He walked warily, like some not-too-courageous explorer picking his way through a jungle in which he suspects the presence of unpleasant wild beasts. Drawn by the lure of gain to revisit Mon Repos, Chimp Twist was wondering pallidly if each moment might not bring Hash ravening out at him from the shadows. He passed round the angle of the house, and Willoughby Braddock, reckless of whether or no this postponement of his return to London would make him late for dinner at Aunt Julia's, and so cause him to be properly ticked off by that punctuality-loving lady, flitted silently after him and was in time to see him peer through the kitchen window. A moment later, his peering seeming to have had a reassuring effect, he had opened the back door and was inside the house. Willoughby Braddock did not hesitate. The idea of being alone in a small semi-detached house with a desperate criminal who was probably armed to the gills meant nothing to him now. In fact, he rather preferred it. He slid silently through the back door in the fellow's wake, and, having removed his shoes, climbed the kitchen stairs. A noise from above told him that he was on the right track. 
Whatever it was that the furtive bloke was doing, he was doing it upstairs. As for Chimp Twist, he was now going nicely. The operations which he was conducting were swift and simple. Once he had ascertained by a survey through the kitchen window that his enemy, Hash, was not on the premises, all his nervousness had vanished. Possessing himself of the chisel which he had placed in the drawer of the kitchen table in readiness for just such an emergency, he went briskly upstairs. The light was burning in the hall and also in the drawing room, but the absence of sounds encouraged him to believe that Sam, like Hash, was out. This proved to be the case, and he went on his way completely reassured. All he wanted was five minutes alone and undisturbed, for the directions contained in Mr. Finglass' letter had been specific, and once he had broken through the door of the top back bedroom, he anticipated no difficulty in unearthing the buried treasure. It was, Mr. Finglass had definitely stated, a mere matter of lifting a board. Chimp Twist did not sing as he climbed the stairs, for he was a prudent man, but he felt like singing. A sharp cracking noise came to Willoughby Braddock's ears as he halted snakily on the first landing. It sounded like the breaking open of a door, and so it was. Chimp, had the conditions been favorable, would have preferred to insinuate himself into Hash's boudoir in a manner involving less noise, but in this enterprise of his time was of the essence, and he had no leisure for niggling at locks with a chisel. Arriving on the threshold, he raised his boot and drove it like a battering ram. The doors of suburban villas are not constructed to stand rough treatment. If they fit within an inch or two and do not fall down when the cat rubs against them, the architect, builder, and surveyor shake hands and congratulate themselves on a good bit of work. And Chimp, though a small man, had a large foot. The lock yielded before him, and the door swung open. He went in and lit the gas. Then he took a rapid survey of his surroundings. Halfway up the second flight of stairs, Willoughby Braddock stood listening. His face was pink and determined. As far as he was concerned, Aunt Julia might go and boil herself. Dinner or no dinner, he meant to see this thing through. Chimp wasted no time. The stuff, his friend the late Edward Finglass had written, is in the top back bedroom. You've only to lift the third board from the window and put your hand in, Chimpy, and there it is. And after this had come a lot of foolish stuff about sharing with Soapy Malloy. A trifle maudlin old Finky had become on his deathbed, it seemed to Chimp, and hurried though he was, Chimp Twist had time to indulge in a brief smile as he thought of Soapy Malloy. He also managed to fit in a brief moment of complacent meditation, the trend of which was that when it comes to a showdown, brains will tell. He, Chimp Twist, was the guy with the brains, and the result was that in about another half minute he would be in possession of American bearer securities to the value of two million dollars. Whereas poor old Soapy, who had just about enough intelligence to open his mouth when he wished to eat, would go through life eking out a precarious existence, selling fictitious oil stock to members of the public who were one degree more cloth-headed than himself. There was a moral to be drawn from this, felt Chimp, but his time was too valuable to permit him to stand there drawing it. He gripped his chisel and got to work. Mr. Braddock, peering in at the door with the caution of a Red Indian stalking a relative by marriage with a tomahawk, saw that the intruder had lifted a board and was groping in the cavity. His heart beat like a motor bicycle. It gave him some little surprise that the fellow did not hear it. Presumably the fellow was too occupied. Certainly he seemed like a man whose mind was on his job. Having groped for some moments, he now uttered a sound that was half an oath and half a groan, and as if seized with a frenzy, began tearing up other boards, first one, then another, after that a third. It was as though this business of digging up boards had begun to grip him like some drug. Starting in a modest way with a single board, he had been unable to check the craving, and it now appeared to be his intention to excavate the entire floor. But he was not allowed to proceed with this work uninterrupted. Possibly this wholesale demolition of bedrooms jarred upon Mr. Braddock's sensibilities as a householder. At any rate, he chose this moment to intervene. 
I say, look here, he said. It had been his intention, for he was an enthusiastic reader of sensational fiction and knew the formula as well as anyone, to say, Hands up! But the words had slipped from him without his volition. He hastily corrected himself. I mean, hands up, he said. Then, backing to the window, he flung it open and shouted into the night, Sam! Hi, Sam! Come quick! End of chapter 27